0: Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. For those of you who are long term listeners, you will remember that we have often discussed the Jewish denominational differences in North America. Usually, the Jewish community is identified as being composed of the Orthodox Jewish movement. Those uh, individuals who belong to synagogues or whose lifestyle is most uh, closely aligned with um, the uh, ritual laws of the past. Um, They can be identified by clothes that they wear or by uh, behaviors so that they would light their Shabbat candles at a prescribed time each and every Friday. They would not drive on Saturday or use electricity on Saturday. Saturday, and their clothing might be somewhat different than uh, the uh, regular population, um, and very often their wives would wear a wig um, as a head covering. Um, next, we would have what was identified as the conservative movement, that um, approach to Judaism which is more in keeping with the modern uh, social norms. It would be difficult to identify them by their clothes, though many would wear a head covering, a yarmulke in Yiddish or a kippah in Hebrew, a head covering all the time. They might observe the dietary laws but they would have made some changes to the prayer book, to the ritual. Um, most of them would drive on Shabbat, especially on their way to uh, synagogue, um, and that their approach to uh, Jewish tradition is to suggest that the past has a vote, but not a veto on uh, ritual decisions and lifestyles. The. Uh, Organizational structure known as Reform is the largest identifiable religious movement in North America. Over twelve hundred synagogues um, affiliate with the Reform movement, which is known as the Union of Reform Judaism, and well over a million people. of the uh, nearly 6 million Jews in North America, affiliate with the Reform movement, and on questionnaires and on polls, uh, many more uh, identify themselves as Reform Jews, even if they don't um, affiliate with a Reform institution or an institution of Reform Judaism, and it would be easily classified as the most liberal of all of the denominations. My guest this morning, is going to be Dara Lithwick, who has been appointed to join the Union for Reform Judaism 2018 and 2019 Juvenation Fellowships LGBTQIA plus cohort. And we'll certainly ask Dara to uh, identify and define all the alphabet. Um, Over the next 13 months, 13 fellows from all over North America, will participate in cutting-edge seminars focusing on identity, enrichment, professional and leadership development, Jewish learning, movement building, mentorship, risk-taking, and project work. Um, She is a member of Temple Israel in Ottawa, Ottawa's only Reform Jewish uh, congregation, and um, she is a lawyer working on constitutional and, pa- and parliamentary affairs. And when she is not doing that, she is completing a part-time rabbinical study through the Alliance for Jewish Renewal, a smaller movement in uh, the North American pantheon of Judaism. Uh, it's my pleasure to invite Dara Lithwick to our show this morning.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So um, let's begin on a um, a really uh, simple basis. Um, You asked me to identify for the audience that you are a part time rabbinical student through the Alliance for Jewish Renewal. Perhaps we could begin by you uh, helping our listeners understand um, what the Alliance for Jewish Renewal is and where it fits in the organizational structure um, of the North American. American Jewish community?
1: Um, sure, uh, my pleasure. Um, so Jewish renewal uh, is um, an approach to Judaism more so than a particular denomination or stream to Judaism, um, but it's an approach to Judaism that can be found within segments of any of the Jewish denominations. Um, which endeavors basically to reinvigorate modern Judaism, um, sort of from from uh, from the heart out, in a sense, to um, uh, just activate our communities and our and uh, our prayer spaces uh, and our people to reengage, um, you know, in a in a in a active way uh, with Judaism, um, and so. We see elements of of Jewish renewal in all we do across denominations, and it's it's basically in that sense uh, uh, an approach more so than a denomination.
0: Okay, so um, it um, may be um, have overlaps, be uh, ritually with other denominations, but it isn't looking to be an institution in and of itself.
1: Um, I mean, at, at this point, uh, I mean, there is, you know, there is variety. And it's, it came out of Jewish Renewal, came out of uh, the late Rabbi uh, Zalman Shachter Shalomi. Um, it's an approach to Judaism um, that sort of has a bit of a, uh, what you would call almost a neo-Hasidic uh, vibe to it. But that is progressive, egalitarian. Um, and sort of also, like, uh, environmentally aware, I would say, sort of in in line with, with modern uh, views particularly on, on the environment and things like that. So I would say that, you know, are some might take it towards almost being another denomination, but from my experience and within my program, um, there are uh, those of us who come from all the major streams, and we sort of learn from the major streams, uh, including Reform, Conservative, Reconstructionist, and Modern Orthodox.
0: So, it sounds like it is um, an opportunity for North American Jews to affiliate with others of a a like mind, but not to be boxed into institutional labels.
1: I would say that, yes.
0: Okay. So, but we are going to make the transition. Thank you, Dara, for sharing that with the listeners. We're going to make the transition now to the uh, fellowship that you were granted and the... um, focus of that fellowship. So perhaps you can um, begin our conversation by telling us about uh, this fellowship and what its implications are for the Reform Liberal Movement of North America.
1: Okay. So, yeah, thank you, Rabbi. And Reform, the Reform Movement is, is, as you mentioned, is the largest actual denomination in North America, though it's smaller in Canada. Um, And and its progressive movement, uh, Jewish movement in North America. Um, and the Juvenation Fellowship comes out of sort of its visioning plan of the movement that's, that they call Audacious Hospitality, which is basically the focused effort to um, embrace diversity within um, the community and reach out to those who may not currently be engaged in Jewish life. Um, It's a belief sort of that through transformative spiritual practice that we could be stronger and more vibrant as a Jewish community when we fully welcome and incorporate the diversity that is the reality of modern Jewish life. Um,
0: So when you say the diversity, you're not necessarily speaking of um, religious diversity You're speaking, it sounds like, of lifestyle diversity.
1: Yeah, and just, you know, diversity in terms of, and I'll unpack what we mean by that. Sure, that would be helpful. By LGBTQ Jews, Jews of color, Jews with disabilities, people with disabilities, Jews who are part of interfaith families. Jew, younger Jews, older Jews, families, single, you know, different elements of where people are at in life. And so you think about diversity in that regard, Jews from different cultural or country backgrounds, you know, there's, we might have, there's sometimes a default to think that we're, you know, say very much originally from Eastern European origin, but there's much more diversity there too, or diversity in terms of you know, where we come from, you know, from across North America in that sense. So, um, I'm part of a fellowship cohort that is focusing um, on strengthening Reformed Judaism by increasing opportunities for Reformed Jewish communities to learn from and be led by Jewish leaders who identify as LGBTQIA+. Now, that's a bit of an alphabet soup, so what do I mean? This is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer or questioning, intersex, and asexual or allied Jews. So it's that whole spectrum there. It's an umbrella term encompassing a diverse group of people from a variety of sexual and gender identities.
0: And so um, given your introduction, um, this um, outreach attempt by the um, reform movement Reflects their belief that um, these communities have not been welcomed or not completely welcomed or have been marginalized within the um, normative um, structures of reform synagogues?
1: Yes, and I think traditionally have been marginalized within you know Jewish life you know more broadly like in reformed synagogues and and in other in other groups and you think in other denominations sometimes more so to a differing extent um and what we see is um you know there's a significant amount of the population um that may identify in some way or another, and I'll use the sort of a blanket term queer, um, you know, as, as uh, being LGBTQIA, let's um, say more than 10% of, of the population. And these are, you know, if we go back to sort of a fundamental precept of Judaism and in many cases of religion that we're all made in God's image, um, you know, if we are not really being, creating a welcoming, safe, and vibrant space for LGBTQ Jews um, and, uh, and for, you know, diverse types of Jews, then fundamentally we're doing a disservice. Um, but we're also losing out because we're also then missing what these individuals have to bring to our communities, um, to our committees to our prayer, to our social action, and more.
0: So, Dara, um, there may be listeners who feel that um, both the Hebrew scripture and other scriptures are less welcoming of individuals who have an alternative lifestyle, as you described it. I won't use all the letters, but... Um, I think um, you we recognize that um, for the longest time. Um, These alternative lifestyles were not necessarily perceived to be part of uh, God's plan. Um, How does the reform movement uh, try to explain, perhaps to an older generation, but still a generation that is part and parcel of the institutional life of reform synagogues, that um, radical hospitality um, includes people who would not have been included um, 15 years ago as part and parcel of the norm of Jewish community life?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a great question, and, and it's amazing. I mean, and one of the things that I love most about you know, the Jewish tradition and it's, you know, how, how it's been around for thousands of years is that fundamentally, as it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, and if you go back even to um, sort of the earliest uh, sort of texts, like the from to the Talmud to the Mishnah, like back to the second century, um, and you might sort of discuss more about this uh, later with another caller. Um, you know, there is there's recognition of sort of gender diversity in between, sort of, including and in between um, male and female. And even the whole idea of, you know, that we see in Genesis, God created, you know, a person, man, Adam, in God's image, male and female. Um, In that first telling, it's it's an understanding that the first human being was, was in fact uh, incorporated all, incorporated all sort of gender and that sort of thing. So there's there's that in there too. And then you could go to other parts of Torah. And I think that there is, you know, when you hit on it, a tradition, a misconception that traditional religion, um, that Torah Judaism does not support LGBTQIA rights. And I don't think this is actually accurate. And if you even go to, um, you know, some of the, the harder lines in Torah, um you know, you can say that um uh that elements such as you know, there's there's a saying there's a quote from Deuteronomy that's often used against, you know, queer rights that says, um, a man's garment shall not be on a woman nor shall a man wear a woman's garment for anyone who does so is an abomination to Hashem. And that's really like hard language. Um And that's often used to shut down um, conversations about uh, gender identity and sexual identity. Um, But as Rabbi Mike Orthodox, and quite Orthodox, Rabbi Mike Moskowitz, uh, and also trans ally Mike Moskowitz, has said, um, he said that this passage should be read totally differently. And he says that this verse is actually the very source that not only permits transgender Jews to wear clothing that supports, for example, their gender identity, but actually arguably obligates them in doing so to have sort of their, their, um, outer, um, uh, dress reflect how they identify on the inside. So I'm saying, like, even taking a piece of a passage from Torah that's often used in that way, um, you're able to see that there's different ways of reading it, and, and that's been done in different ways over the past 2,000 years, and it's been treated differently over the past 2,000 years. So I think where we've come in the past 15 years is, is in a sense, almost going back to source, you know, to say, you know, let's Let's see, you know, what are we really valuing here? and And I think it's it's valuing the people and the image of the divine and the people that make up our communities, um, and having that be our starting point.
0: Do you, this um, um, initiative by the reform movement, is it the first time that the reform movement, to the best of your knowledge, has um, reached out? To um, gender-specific um, identifiable groups, and I know that you've said that it's really not solely um, for the LGBTQ community, and that there are other groups that they're trying to reach out to. But, but in particular, is this the first um, approach to that community?
1: I I don't I don't think so um i mean i think that you know like for example you know like lgbtq jews have been eligible for ordination for years
0: meaning um, to be rabbis or cantors
1: rabbis and cantors exactly um uh there's been a lot of work in terms of like uh the reform movement being uh or sort of the more um Uh, Activist elements of the reform movement, like the Religious Action Center, which is uh, sort of the social action and advocacy arm of the reform movement, doing a lot of work on equal marriage, gay marriage, and um, trans rights over the past you know, I'd say probably the past 10, 15 years.
0: Right. I and mean, um, we should identify that the Religious Action Center of the Reform Movement is located in Washington, D.C., and the preponderance of their work is... Um, Directed towards the laws and um, um, patterns of political behavior in the United States um, that uh, Canada has long ago uh, provided equal rights and marriage for same-sex couples and while it too is uh, wrestling with how to um, enshrine um, equal rights for transgender people it hasn't had the same type of um, political uh conflict um that you see south of the border yeah um, no I would
1: agree with that and, um, I, and yeah and I think you know here too it's like you've seen some reform rabbis in Canada and Toronto in particular like over the past 20 years you know taking you know, being at the leading edge too of of how rights have evolved here in Canada. Sure.
0: Um, so, can you um, share with our listeners um, now that we've kind of looked at the background of this, specifically, what kind of programs might you be involved in, and how might it impact on the Canadian um, landscape?
1: Good question. Okay. So, basically. The fellowship just started, fellowship just started. Uh, you know, we, had, we started last month um, and um, so basically what we're going to do probably uh, over the next nine months over the course of the fellowship um, is, I mean, the, the idea is to be able to create some, some vibrant innovative projects that, that, um, uh, that could be resources for, for the movement, leaders, communities congregation camps, college campuses, et cetera. So past projects in other cohorts, like last year there was um, a cohort that was more focused on um, Jews of color and things like that. So past projects have included developing board trainings, community building and outreach initiatives, trainings for religious school educators and young professionals, and, and sort of focused communications initiatives. So you know there's a there's a whole we're, we're actually in the middle of sort of the brainstorming phase in terms of what sort of projects we could do across the movement um but like here in in canada too it's you know anything from say looking at our um you know creating a tool to help congregations do a really good self-assessment to say okay are we, we feel like we're welcoming, we think we're welcoming, but are we really that, that welcoming? How are we, you know, in terms of the language we use, in terms of where we reach out and how we reach out and who we reach out to and what we participate in and so on. Um, another thing could be just more generally, you know, like what we integrate into our um, religious school Programming, you know, on just inclusion and diversity, even more generally, and sort of building in um, age appropriate, uh, you know, real good age appropriate curriculum uh, on, on uh, issues of welcoming and diversity and B'Telam Elohim and that sort of
0: thing. So, um, as you're speaking, I'm reminded um, of an issue that emerged in the last provincial election. Um, The previous government of Ontario um, had um, altered and presented a new what was called sex education curriculum to the schools of Ontario and wanted all of the schools to be discussing these issues in an age-appropriate manner. Um, is one of the goals to try and integrate this kind of um, religious teaching into the what are called the religious schools, the opportunities that synagogues affiliated with the Royal Forum Congregation have to teach children about being Jewish. And this would become then part of the essential value structure along with uh torah and Avodah and gimilut chasidim this kind of sexual orientation inclusiveness
1: i'm not going to comment on on politics
0: uh well i don't think that. it was a political comment it was just no, no. There, I mean, it was I part say, of but, the but discussion
1: of, yeah but I'm, just, I'm going to say you know in terms of in terms of like what could or would be in, incorporated into um uh, you know, school, first of all, there's, there's different things that different, uh, you know, r- religious schools do in terms of their overall programming. And I think that, you know, in terms of LGBTQIA inclusion, um, I mean, that's actually just one part of building um, and sort of modeling what it means to be a diverse and inclusive community. So, um, you know, that could be, you know, like one one element, but I think too, if we're taking that opportunity to relook, like, to look at, um, you know, what we do in in our religious schools, it's like, how are we too with, you know, with with Jews, with people with disabilities, with different abilities, people, you know, coming from different backgrounds and and things like that, and this would, you know, fits in too with um, with just, you know, those those more general. Skills of of um, you know being being open to learning, um, to not prejudging people, um, and to being sensitive too around um, around language and around action and around the effects of both.
0: And are you feeling that the synagogue that you affiliate with um, has room to grow in this area?
1: Oh, totally. hundred percent. I think we all have room to grow in this area. And I think it's a sort of, it's a work in progress, right? It's like, are we ever perfect? <laughs> it's like, you know, the whole premise of Judaism too. And I think of many faith traditions is that we're works in progress. And so the challenge is not like, oh, are we, you know, are, are, are we perfect? Are we there yet? But it's, you know, what can we, what more can we do? And just recognizing that we're on a growing path. And that path may shift and may change as as we grow and we change and we learn more.
0: Okay. I'm cognizant that we're coming to the end of our conversation this morning. I'm wondering if you want to leave the the listeners with one last thought about this very important fellowship that you're uh, participating in. And I wonder if you're the only Canadian representative.
1: I am indeed the only Canadian representative uh, in the fellowship. Um, I just came off an amazing, last weekend uh, we had, the weekend before this interview, we had um, a wonderful retreat together uh, in in the Hudson Valley outside of New York and, and really got to sort of build relationships. It's really exciting to be a part of this, and I think it is such a fundamental element. I mean, if you think about the golden rule in terms of how we are to how we are to treat each other, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. It comes from that so basic element. And I think that, like, sometimes we get caught up in, um, we we could get caught up in identity this or identity that, but if we actually are uh, intentional and thoughtful about how we engage and welcome each other, we only have so much to gain. If if we become more welcoming to um, LGBTQIA Jews and more welcoming to Jews from all different backgrounds, then our communities will be ever more vibrant, ever more alive um, and ever more engaged uh, as Jewish communities, but also as part of greater society.
0: Well, Dara Lithwick, Um, I want to thank you for joining me on Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. It's been a fascinating conversation, and I wish you and the fellow members of your cohort good luck, and I look forward to hearing the results of your work. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a rebroadcast of this on the CHRI uh, website or on iTunes as a podcast. Shalom. Goodbye.